The Think Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Music from the Zombies, who formed in 1962, and they had many hits as part of the British invasion, including She's Not There, Tell Her No, and Time of the Season, which was on their 1968 masterpiece, Odyssey and Oracle. But much like Brian Wilson's masterpiece Pet Sounds, Odyssey didn't make much of a splash initially. In fact, the band had broken up before its release. All of these years later, fans have come to realize the album for what it is, which is one of the greatest ever. The voice of the zombies is Colin Blundstone, who is kind enough to join us on The Fake Show right now from Los Angeles. Hello. Colin, this is Jim Tofty in Las Vegas. How are you this morning? Hi, Jim. I'm fine. Thanks very much. Very well. How about you? Very good. Thank you. And I'm wondering, is it still a thrill to be out on the road and doing it after all these years? Oh, absolutely. Um, We wouldn't do it if it wasn't a thrill. I mean, in many ways, it's exactly the same every time you walk on stage. Even if you've been doing it for years and years, there's always that excitement before and especially during a show. And I have to say that I'm a, I'm a big fan, too, of your solo material, Say You Don't Mind and I Don't Believe in Miracles, the one-year LP. Really, really great stuff. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I know that you've heard this uh, many times that the Zombies album Odyssey and Oracle is a masterpiece. I can listen to this over and over many times. In fact, I think I'm on my third vinyl LP. Never get tired of it. To me, it's like Revolver or Pet Sounds. It, it's just as new today as it was then. Oh, that's brilliant. It's, uh, it's so heartening, you know. Um, at the time, it, it was incredibly disappointing that when it was released... It didn't really create uh, a lot of interest. And certainly, commercially, it wasn't successful. And so it's been really exciting to see the interest that has accumulated over the years. I think it's a bit of a phenomenon, that album, because no one's been promoting it. No one's been marketing it. It's just word of mouth that it's established itself as you know, a very interesting piece of work over the years. And I can't think of many other albums that have done that. I compare it to, I guess, in terms of Brian Wilson and the Smile LP, when he finally kind of, they kind of finally got that organized and people were anxious to hear that live, I suppose. Yes, I suppose it has got its similarities, hasn't it? Absolutely. As the story goes, and people are very familiar with it, uh, you broke up before it was released. Truly miraculous to see you guys perform Odyssey and Oracle live for the first time just a couple of years ago. Well, you know, it was very exciting for us to have the opportunity to do that. Um, We never performed it at the time. Um, All our memories are a little bit faded about 1967 now, but we may have done one or two of the songs once or twice on stage but otherwise you know in general we didn't play any of those songs live so it's been really interesting for us because really we have to go back to basics and relearn the songs that we recorded all those years ago and then we get the opportunity to play with our old bandmates with Chris White and Hugh Grundy sadly Paul Atkinson has passed away he's no longer with us but um we get the opportunity to play with them and it's quite an emotional experience especially when we play the first few dates on a tour it's uh, you feel yourself being transported back to those heady 60 days uh, 60s 
days, you know, and uh, it, it is quite an emotional experience playing the album. Do you think that, Colin, at the time, maybe music was changing? We Suddenly we had Jimi Hendrix and, and Cream, and musical tastes might have turned the corner. Yes, I think they were changing, and um, in some ways a little bit unfortunately for us, when it came out in 67 in the UK, it was still very much a singles-orientated market. And when we released the first single from the album and it didn't do anything, the general feeling was that, you know, perhaps it's time to move on and, and get involved in other projects. It was, it was an, we all agreed, you know, it was a, there was no animosity in it. We just felt it was time to move on. But at that time, with the artists like, that, that you're mentioning, the whole business was moving towards albums and that perhaps was the main strength of Odyssey and Oracle, that it really holds together as an album. Although eventually it did have a big hit single on it at uh, the time of the season. I think it was the fourth single released in America. The real strength of the, of the piece is that it holds together as an album. And perhaps if we stayed together and seen the music industry change, where albums become predominantly important, um, the band might have been able to uh, might have been able to continue. And you know, so many great stories about that album. One of which was that as you guys were walking into Abbey Road Studios to record this, the Beatles were basically wrapping up Sgt. Pepper at the time. It's absolutely true. We were the next band in, um, and I mean, one of the things is that uh, John Lennon had left a Mellotron behind in Studio Three, and Rod just jumped on that Mellotron. <laughs> 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 and if you listen to what I see in Oracle. Or Mellotron. It would have been a totally different album if John hadn't left that instrument behind. But we were picking up, uh, you know, uh, tambourines and maracas and goodness knows what else that were laying around on the floor. And in in some senses, I did feel a sort of a bit of a connection with them. Really, I mean, we were all huge Beatles fans. Sure. We didn't see them. They left a few days before us. We didn't actually see them. But in a way, it was a nice thought to have that there was a kind of a connection um, in that they'd left some of their instruments behind. And of course, we were using exactly the same engineers that they used, uh, Jeff Emmerich and Peter Vince, who are two of the finest recording engineers in the world. So we were really fortunate to be in Abbey Road at that time working with those engineers. I could see, listening to your library through the years when I was a kid, the writing continued to grow and mature, didn't it? It did. I think that right at that moment, Odyssey and Oracle, Rod, and especially Chris, uh, was going through a really hot period. I think Rod was quite a mature writer right from the beginning, from 1964. Um, But Chris was a good writer, he's a fine writer, but... He was really learning his craft from 64 to 67, and suddenly in 67, he actually wrote more songs on Odyssey and Oracle than Rod did. And it, it seemed he had suddenly become a very accomplished songwriter. And he went on over the next few years because uh, he also was, well, they were both the, the main writers for Argent, a lot, along with um, Russ Ballard. And they just went through a really hot writing period from around... 67 to 74 or something like that. We were so lucky. I think that was one of the main strengths of the Zombies was to have two prolific, wonderful writers in the band and Chris White and Rod Argent. I've spoken to uh, quite a few British musicians over the years, Colin, and, and they always say that it was very important for them to get that first hit in America. Was that the case with you guys? 
Oh, absolutely. I, um, I think that, well, I mean, the world looked to America and the American charts, and we certainly did, because for us, rock and roll started in America. All the greats, Chuck Berry, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard, these were the people that got us playing rock and roll. And so our heroes were always American musicians. And I think that it's every British musician's aim is to one day go and play in America. And it's a very thrilling experience to come to America every time we come, but especially the first time. But also slightly intimidating. Every British person would acknowledge this is where rock and roll started. And you have so many fine musicians over here. But that was just a period in the mid-60s where as you call it, the British invasion happened. And it was a, um, a little bit of a turnaround. And I often felt, I know that a lot of the songs we recorded were self-written, but um, in our show, we would play a lot of rhythm and blues classics. And I, I almost wanted to have an aside with the audience, you know, if they were enjoying what we were doing and sort of say, you know, we're playing American music here. This is your music. Yeah. And I felt a little bit guilty. And I'd be quite open about that. I mean, we weren't trying to in any way take over <laughs> American <laughs> rhythm and blues we were, we were we were fans you know and we were playing it because we loved it assuming you went through the same thing where could you even hear what you were playing at the time were you getting the same reaction as all the other bands of the day oh, that, that, that was a bit of a challenge yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was very very noisy and of course amplification wasn't like it is now yeah it did get a bit difficult at times because uh, audiences were incredibly enthusiastic and probably more so in America than anywhere else. You know, you had such a big hit initially with She's Not There. In some ways, does it work against you to have a hit right out of the box before, you know, you've, you've even had time to develop? You guys were so young. Thought, didn't it? I've thought about it many times. And all I would say is that, of course, you have to enjoy and be grateful for any success that you have at any time in your career. But... If you have a choice, I think it's better to get the real breakthrough singles a little bit later in your career because we were we were 18 when we recorded She's Not There. Wow. We were totally naive with regards to the music business. And of course, you know, to some degree, there was a degree of exploitation going on. It was very rife in the business in those days. And we realized it in later years. It's easy to see it now in hindsight. But I think that... If we'd have been on the road for a couple of years before we had our success, I think everything could have been very different because we would have known, we would have understood more of how the music business works. But as I said at the beginning, you've got to be extremely grateful and thankful for any success that you get and accept it whenever it comes, of course. As far as the Beatles, they had played for, I don't know how many years it was in Hamburg, so they were very polished by the time they came over here and did the Ed Sullivan show. Sure. I, I think they I think they've been together for a couple of years or something like that. And they've been to Germany, hadn't they, and played in these clubs where you played all night, you know. Right. You got them really, really tight. And with the Zombies, we'd won a big rock competition in the spring of 1964. And I think that that helped to get us a recording contract with Decca and also helped us to believe that perhaps there was a way forward for us as professional musicians. We, we all wanted to be professional musicians. It was just that we weren't sure that there was a place for us. But when we won that competition, we decided to become a professional band. It wasn't when She's Not There was a hit. That happened after we decided to become a professional band. So if She's Not There had not been a hit, we bought an old beaten up truck 
we were going to go out and get gigs. I don't think we really quite knew where we were going to get the gigs from. Right. But it, it sort of, the success overtook the plan that we had. We were just going to go out on the road and, and try to learn our craft and hopefully eventually become successful. But it, it happened the other way around. Colin Blenstone and the Zombies. Can't tell you how much of a thrill this has been, Colin. I really thank you for spending time with me today. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it, too. Thank you, Colin. Okay, all the very best. If you have a chance, make sure that you get out and see the Zombies as they tour across the United States. They're not only going to play Zombies hits, but also Colin's solo material and the hits of Argent going to be a great show and it's amazing how it just organically evolved into people wanting to hear more and more of the zombies well that's it for this episode of the fake show thanks for stopping by i'm jim tofty and i will see you next time take the fake show with you at thefakeshow.com soundcloud and at itunes <laughs> <laughs>